If you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter four. And I'm really not sure how uh, the next few weeks are going to turn out. (laughs) I don't know if that's a good thing to say. I've never said that before at the pulpit from the we don't have pulpit anymore, but I've never said that before, Pastor Paul. Uh, So I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. Uh, you know, so and he says me neither. So so anyhow, we're going to just jump in with both feet and and we're we're going to probably meddle just a little bit and, uh, you know, process some, I, I think, um, be, because I, I believe there's a lot there. There is a lot at stake. How many believe that? Uh, raise your hand. I mean, there is a lot at stake in our world today in our society and. You know, the church is not just for collecting offerings and preaching and self-help messages. And I mean, it's in part, you know, part of that. But but it's, it's more than just providing a place to belong, because I believe that the world is a broken, a hurting place. And there are hundreds of problems that we have to wrestle with. And, and churches and pastors and ministers, we have our work cut out for us. This is a good time to be the church. Are you following me on that? This is a great time to be the church because our world needs King Jesus. And, and so I, I believe that there, there are some challenges for us like equipping the saints and making disciples and identifying truth. And preparing believers to exercise in their faith of Jesus Christ. And this sounds fairly straightforward, yet all these ideas can be a slippery slope. I mean, who who are the saints? We talk about the saints. I mean, who are the saints according to who? I mean, how do we understand that? And and what is disciple? What is discipleship? We talk about being a disciple. We say, yeah, a disciple of Christ. And we have our paradigm understanding. But, man, in our culture today, in the world in which we live, there are different interpretations and understandings that we have. And and I'm wrestling with the idea of of my my church language. In other words, we have what we call churchese, right? And we use certain terms and words, you know, to say things. But the problem with that is it's all in-house, you know. And if we're going to connect with the world around us and our culture, and we're really going to have the opportunity to share Jesus Christ, then we have to be able to communicate in a way that people, you know, can connect and really understand. And so, you know, what is a disciple? I mean, whose truth is it anyways? We talk about truth and, and, and this, uh, you know, pluralistic society that we live and, and, and tolerance and all the things that we're, you know, having to deal with when we say, okay, we're going to speak about truth. Then, then what truth is that? I mean, whose truth is that? And, and, and faith, you know, faith in what? The world asks us to have a lot of faith in different things. Maybe, you know, faith in our system or faith in a politician or faith in a particular religion or a faith in a certain idea. So, so you know, when we talk about faith, what are we talking about? I mean, really? It's like we have this moving target, you know, that we're trying to hit. And so I, I believe as believers, we had better be prepared. We had better be ready to ask some difficult questions and answer some really difficult questions because our world is doing that very thing. That's why we are doing this series called Taboo, questions that you're not supposed to talk about or questions you're not supposed to ask. And, and so there are really three different areas that I want to cover. And the first one, you see it there on the banner as you walked in the foyer. And the first one is money. Now, I understand that uh, I'm meddling when we're talking about money because, you know, uh, statistics say that. They say that, that the, the most difficult topic 
or the most difficult discussion that you can have with a person in the United States of America is the discussion about their money. And I understand that, that we get uncomfortable just a little bit. And sometimes it's because of the lack of it. And that's impacting us. Or maybe that has us, maybe that makes us feel, you know, um, you know, smaller or weaker or maybe insufficient or whatever it is. And maybe it's the lack of, or maybe it's, it's because we have a whole lot of it. We have a lot of money and maybe we don't want to, you know, be tempted to feel greedy or even respond or, or, you know, appear that way that we're greedy in any way. But but the discussion of money, it's it's a real it's a real topic that we need to address. Wells Fargo survey claims that 44 percent of Americans see the topic of finances as the most difficult discuss openly. So hands down, money is the leading cause of stress in relationships. And really, uh, I've read this over and over again. So uh, not only uh, via survey and and articles and books, but the reality is that money is the number one cause for divorce in these United States. I don't know about other countries, but money is an issue. In fact, as I was reading about this and doing some research, uh, I came across an interesting statistic uh, in about the 40 percent range that 40 percent of couples that get married never discuss their finances before they tie the knot. I think that's interesting and it is a problem. In fact, that's why when I do premarital counseling, I require three sessions before I do a ceremony. And, and one of those sessions I dedicate to money. I dedicate to talking about the budget and talking about our debt and how we're calling consolidating the debt or how we're handling, you know, our finances and whether we have this budget in place or not. And, and so it's an important conversation to have. Statistically, the more open a person is in discussing finances, the greater chance that that couple has at experiencing health and happiness in their marriage and life. In fact, you know what the chances are? It, it increases their chance by like 90% if they openly discuss finances uh, before they get married and, and they, they have a hand on, on how, you know, we're going to deal with this. And I don't know where you're at financially. Again, I'm just kind of meddling just a little bit. I'm not preaching yet, by the way, because I will get to that. I'm just kind of trying to lay the foundation in regards to talking about money. And I have not even, I've not even presented to you, you know, the question that we're not supposed to ask yet. But if you're, you know, if you're thinking about this and, okay, you know, maybe you saw the email and and maybe even after today you might be thinking about it. I don't know where you're at financially and that's none of my business. But all I know is uh, it is it's important. And, And we'll get to that, the preaching part of it, but it is important. And so you say, well, pastor, how how do I begin, you know, you know, dealing with the, the idea of my own stewardship and my own finances? In fact, I I remember visiting with a gentleman that was 60 years of age, not here, a different place, different state. A gentleman was 60 years of age and he was beginning to ask me questions about his finances. And, and folks, you say, well, man, he's 60 years old. You see, it's never too late to start. It's never too late to begin to get a focus and to begin to process this idea. Uh, I've got to get a handle on my finances and have a plan. In fact, I have a few questions for you. Uh, I would suggest that you meet with somebody that could be a mentor, somebody that's laid a good financial foundation, somebody that, you know, you know, has a good budget and they're planning for the retirement. I'm not necessarily saying somebody that has a lot of money, but find somebody that you feel that has a good financial plan. Ask them to be your mentor 
and go to coffee with them. And here are some discussion starters that you can use, questions that you can ask to begin the conversation about your finances. And I just want to share a few of them with you. Number one, what is the best piece of financial advice that you've ever received? That would be a good question to ask that person. That's going to be your mentor, your your financial advisor, so to speak. What's the best piece of financial advice? Number two, what are your long-term financial goals? That's so simple, but it's important that we ask the question. Let's go to the next screen. Uh, how do you measure your financial success? It's interesting when you ask that question, uh, how many different answers you will get. You will get different answers depending on who you talk to. So these are just, you know, starters. Uh, number four, what is a question that you have about money that you've always wanted to ask someone? That's another one. Number five. Look at number five there. Uh, about what percentage of your income do you spend on housing? How do you decide on, on that amount? Number six, how would you deal with a large unexpected expense? I think that's a good question there. I mean, do you have money saved up? Is somebody going to help you? I mean, an emergency comes in your life. I mean, how do you handle that? And then we got seven and eight and seven is about retirement and eight is is about a financial budget. And so these are just starters to begin with that you can ask somebody if you're needing to be mentored, you want somebody to help you to begin to focus on your finances. And and maybe in our second service where you have that younger generation and, and our, our youth and our student ministries and all that, maybe some of this will ring a bell for them. And, and most of us today in this sanctuary, I understand we have some kind of foundation already laid and we have some stability in life. I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of assuming well, these questions are a great place to start. And why am I going here? I mean, why discuss something that is that is really kind of taboo, like I said, because I know something. Now, here's where the preaching is going to begin, because I know something. And what I know is I know the better financial foundation, the better understanding that we have of our finances, the better plan that we have for our finances, the easier it is to follow God's plan of stewardship for our lives. And I understand I'm meddling just a little bit, but the better that we have a financial plan, the better the foundation, the better the understanding, the easier it is that we will be able to be good stewards of what it is that God has given us or God has blessed us with. So maybe the taboo question that we're not supposed to ask is, are Christians, here it is, are Christians commanded to tithe? Are Christians commanded to tithe? Someone wrote about this saying that tithing is a concept in which one realizes that God owns everything. And we understand that as we read that God owns, you know, all the cattle and he owns, you know, all the hills. He owns everything. We say the cattle on a thousand hills, but he owns all the hills. He owns everything. We understand that God is our creator and he is the one that has blessed us. And so really God owns 100 percent of everything that we have. And so tithing is God asking us to show our love for him by giving back 10 percent of all that we have because of our love for him, because that we we care about our creator who created us. And again, he created everything. It's all his to begin with. And so why would we tithe? We tithe because we love God. I mean, that's the simple. Really, that's kind of the shakedown. That's the simple, you know, the simplest way that I can say this. Without watering it down anymore, we tithe because we love God. 
I, I think one of the best examples is Malachi chapter 3. And remember, the nation had wandered away from God. And, and they were asking the question, how do I return to God? How do we make this relationship right? Because you see, now what we're seeing is there's this, there's this, this kind of, uh, you know, this movement where they are now not focusing on themselves and what they want. They are beginning to focus on what it is that God wants. And they're focusing on how can they have relationship with this God who is their creator because they love God. And so Malachi addresses this. How do you make that relationship right again? And he, he responds there in Malachi chapter 3, looking at verse 9. He says, bring the full tithe in the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Notice that if I will not open the window and pour so much blessing out upon you, you will not have enough room to store it. If you are obedient to me in tithes and offerings, you will return to me. I will return to you and there will be blessing in your house. And it's interesting that God says, test me in this. I mean, this is the one thing that he says, you know, put this to the test. If you bring the tithe in the storehouse, and by the way, the storehouse is where we come and receive our spiritual food. That is the church where we worship, where we gather together, like we were gathering this morning. This is the storehouse, and he's saying, bring the tithe in the storehouse, and I will bless you. I'll pour open the the gates of heaven, and, and I'll pour blessing down upon you in such great quantity, you cannot even imagine the blessing that will come your way if you, if you, you know, bring to me this honor, because we love God, because we love Him. And in fact, it's very much about your heart. In, in, in Matthew chapter 6, 21, we read, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so it's very much about our heart. It's about, you know, us responding to God because we love God and we want to honor him by bringing to him the tithe, which is at 10 percent. That is his to begin with. Anyhow, it's interesting, this concept, if we follow it back, uh, especially back in the law in the New Testament, we go or the Old Testament, we go to Numbers chapter 18. We go to Numbers chapter 18 and look at verse 26 and we read there. Uh, a passage it kind of gives instruction to 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 the priests or to the levites and here's what we read speak to the levites and say to them when you receive from the israelites the tithe so notice they are receiving the tithe because they are the levites they are the priestly order they are working in the temple they are serving the lord they are the pastors and, and it is saying that when you receive the tithe from the nation from the israelites This tithe that I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. So in explanation, this is about the priest and the Levites portion of inheritance from the nation of Israel, from the people. This is the tithe that they're bringing in so that the priests are free from the secular life and concern so they can serve God in full time ministry. Just like your pastors on this pastoral team serves God in full time ministry. They are then to tithe on the tithe. They are the tithe on the tithe. Just as your pastors, this pastor, our whole pastoral team, I know this for sure, that they pay their tithe. And they tithe on the blessing that comes from your tithe, and they tithe themselves. You see, this is a command of God, and yes, it fulfills the law, but wait a minute, we're not under the law anymore. You see, the real issue is not formula, 
It's not about checking a box or appearing to be what we're supposed to be because it's something that is deeper, something that is stirring, something that is happening deep inside of us in our hearts because the relationship that we have with God and our creator and we know that he is our creator and we love him because he created us and we say, Father, I want to honor you. I want to love you by giving this back to you. But there's something that is deeper that is happening. And we, we, we see this in even one of the significant markers of believers in the dark ages when the church should not have survived. And when plagues was ravaging society and humanity was caving in, the church should have not have survived. But yet in the midst of all of that, the church was thriving and Christians were feeding the hungry and caring for the sick while being sick themselves and making inhuman sacrifices. And, and people, what they saw and what they witnessed was the generosity of believers and the church took off when the worst of times was happening. And that thing that is deeper that is happening, it's interesting because we find the very same dynamic in the first century church here in the book of Acts. And what we see in the book of Acts, it is the answer for then. It is the answer for now. It is what the church was engaged in. It's what they were doing. And it was radical generosity. They were engaged in radical generosity. Radical generosity. I invited a pastor by the name of uh, Carter Moss to come and speak to our staff on Tuesday. We have staff meetings on Tuesday. All the pastors gather on the team. And, and so I invited Carter Moss to come and speak to us. He's a pastor of um, um, uh, New Break Church OB, Ocean Beach New Break Church. And he went to a church that was really kind of dead, dying, about 40, 50 people. And they came in and changed the name of the church to New Break OB. And, and then he came in and he just began... He just began to lead them to be the church there and obey in the community. And so I asked him to come share with their staff because the church that was dying, running 40 or 50 people, is now running 400. It's now running 400 people. Just in a few short years. And, and I said, Carter, I want you to come and share with us pastors. I mean, what is that church doing that's different from what this church is doing? And he came and he said, well, you know, we just we're just trying to be the church and we're just trying to get out there. In fact, I I met with the business association and I said, is there anything that we can do to bless our community? And and they said, well, you know, I'm not sure. Well, word got out and pretty soon he found out that the restaurant at the end of the pier there in OB, the restaurant was wanting to be painted, needed to be painted. And so he went to the owner and said, hey, I'll do that. We'll paint the, the restaurant for you. And so they gathered the paint together and the church went out out there and they painted the restaurant and and then something else popped up and something else popped up and and they have a parade there and they they engage in the parade and 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 I mean I cannot even go through how many different things that Carter Moss and their church are doing and many times they are giving things away and they are serving their community and they never put up a banner they never hand out a card they never show a pamphlet because it's not about getting something in return that's not what it's about. In fact, I heard something, someone say recently that the problem with church is the reason why people kind of pull back. I mean, a community might pull back is because the church either wants money or conversion. The church either wants money or conversion. And so they pull back like, you know, from the car salesman. Mayors were asked one time, several mayors were asked the question, 
Which would you rather have? Think of this. Which would you rather have? A new Denny's come to town, a new Denny's restaurant, or a new church? Every one of the mayors said they'd rather have a Denny's restaurant than a church. Because Denny's revenue, jobs. You see, our job, church, is to change that picture. Our job is to change that impression that we're just out to get something. And rather than, you know, being what it is that God has called us to do, as the church did in the dark ages, and that is to serve our community for God's glory. Radical generosity. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, we read they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And then our text this morning in Acts chapter 4, looking at verse 34 and 35, we read this here. It reads, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. You know, we've read that. I don't know how many times I've read that, how many times you've heard it. I wonder how many times we have taken it to heart. How many times we've really thought about that? Those that had or owned homes and land or land or houses sold them, brought the money from the cells and put it at the apostles feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. You see, the issue is having a spirit of generosity because generosity. The reason I'm saying that is because generosity strikes at the core of our being. Generosity is a heart symptom. It's revealing the healthy heart instead of the stifled heart or the heart that is choking or the heart that is almost dead. It is revealing the healthy heart instead of a heart that is on life support. It is revealing a healthy heart when we have this heart of generosity. You see, you know what the opposite of generosity is? I know I'm meddling. I understand that. But you know what the opposite of generosity is? The opposite of generosity is greed and selfishness. And a harsh spirit. Someone wants to find greed as this way, or they define it this way. Greed is a bottomless pit which exhausts the person in an endless effort to satisfy the need without ever reaching satisfaction. Greed without ever reaching satisfaction. I read a story recently that I I believe really helps me pinpoint What it is, I think the text is saying to us this morning. And so I I want to read this, this story to you. It's short. Or this little article. The very first person to reach the status of billionaire. That's, that's what the article is about. The very first person to reach the status of billionaire was a man who knew how to set goals and follow through. At the age of 23, he had become a millionaire. By the age of 50, A billionaire, the first billionaire. Every decision, attitude, and relationship was tailored to create his personal power and wealth. But three three years later, at the age of 53, he became ill. His entire body became racked with pain, and he lost all hair on his head. In complete agony, the world's only billionaire could could buy anything he wanted, but he could only digest milk and crackers An associate wrote, he could not sleep, would not smile, nothing in life meant anything to him. 
His personal, highly skilled physicians predicted he would die within a year. That year passed agonizingly slow. As he approached death, he awoke one morning with a vague remembrance of a dream. He could barely recall the dream, but knew it had something to do with not being able to take any of his successes with him into the next world. The man who could control the business world suddenly realized he was not in control of his own life. He was left with a choice. He called his attorneys, accountants, and managers and announced that he wanted to channel his assets to hospitals, research, and mission work. On that day, John D. Rockefeller established his foundation. This new direction eventually led to the discovery of penicillin, cures for current strains of malaria, tuberculosis, and diphtheria. The list of discoveries resulting from his choice is enormous. But perhaps the most amazing part of Rockefeller's story is that the moment he began to give back a portion of all that he had earned, his body's chemistry was altered so significantly that he got better. It looked as if he would, he would die, it looked as if he would die at 53, but he lived to be 98 years old. Rockefeller learned gratitude and gave back from his wealth. Doing so made him whole. It is one thing to be healed. It is another to be made whole. I, I, I just have to make a personal note here. Um, I, I've tithed, and I don't know if I should say this. I've tithed, and I've not tithed. If, if you walk with Jesus, I cannot imagine being whole without tithing. I've done both, and, and, and there is no blessing, there is nothing like walking in right relationship with our Father in Heaven. And knowing that, that we are responding not to what the preacher is saying or what the church expects, but we're responding to our Creator who has created us because we love Him. I love you, God, and I love you this much, and it is worth, it is worth whatever sacrifice that I need to make to have a relationship that is right with God. It is worth it. Not only God has called us to it, we are commanded about it, but is worth in relationship with God. Now, I want to change, uh, just kind of wrap it up with a changing direction and a little bit lighter conversation. Um, by the way, Heidi and I, our anniversary was on Friday in, in the 33 years. So we've been married 33 years. And uh, yeah, we're, we're excited about that. We're on 34. I, I wrote a little letter to her, and we had did some things and stuff. And, and I said, let's double that. Make it 66 years. So we have to see if we can make it. But, but anyhow, one thing about a relationship, and this I am connecting this to what I'm talking about, is that when we got married, I made it really clear I do not share my fries. Okay? I mean, I just want this to really be clear. And I made it clear right out of the starting gate. I learned this early. Okay, one fry... Oh, just one fry, honey. Just two. Well, that means half of my fries. I do not want to give away half of my fries because it's not one fry. It's not two fries. It's literally half of my fries. And so I said to her, even when I was flat broke and a student, I said, I will buy you a large fry. Even if I have a small fry, just don't touch my fries. <laughs> and we, we got that, right? We're there. Yeah, we're there. Okay. Which reminded me of the story of, um, that was told by Elmer Towns. Elmer Towns is a, a teacher and author. He's written several books and kind of pastor teacher guy. And he tells the story of um, a father that had taken his son to McDonald's. And 
uh, he had ordered a sandwich. His son had a sandwich and a fry. And so dad didn't have a fry. And so dad reached over and tried to take one of his son's fries. And his son slapped dad's hand. And, and, and dad thought to himself, what have I done to raise my boy to be selfish like this? I guess I'm a little selfish. But what have I done to raise my boy to be selfish like this? I mean, after all, I'm in charge. I'm the dad. I mean, I'm the boss. I'm the one. In, I mean, I bought the fries. They're my fries to begin with. I paid for the fries. And by the way, this is my boy. This is my boy. I bought the fries. You know what I should do? I should take the fries away and just, you know, not let him have any of the fries. I think sometimes we do that with God. You know, he's asking for that one fry. And we slap his hand. We say, no, this is mine. We slap his hand and we break the relationship and things get off balance. And we're wondering why life is not working. And if you're a believer and you walk with Jesus, how can we have that relationship be what it needs to be if we don't say, God, I love you this much. God, I give you not only my fry, I give you my money, I give you my time, my energy. And you know what? There will be blessing so much that you will not have enough room for it. Let alone the spiritual blessing that you have in your heart. I, I understand it's hard to talk about money. But man, it's sure connected with our relationship with God. Let us pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, for Lord, the challenge that you're reminding us of. That God, that you are a part of everything of who we are. You're part of everything that we, we do. And that, Lord, that we... Have everything that we have because of you. And Father, we acknowledge that this morning. And so, Father, I just pray that you would just bless Mission Church of the Nazarene. But Lord, more than that, I ask, and this might sound odd, but I ask that Mission Church will bless you. That, that we will bless you, God. That we will honor you, God. And we'll say we love you this much. And that, Lord, that you'll be glorified in that. I know, Lord, that, that we're called, we're created to do one major thing that's to glorify you and so father i pray for that one person i pray for that one couple that couple that might need to sit down and talk about it that individual that might lord be being challenged right now they need to take that step of faith i pray that father in heaven that you would stir our hearts and you lift our spirits and that lord that we would be all that you called us to be and that we would honor you in our tithes we'd honor you in our giving and that, Father in heaven, that money is not a closed conversation to you. We know that. We understand that. And so, Father, we, we, we give it to you. We honor you, Father. Help us not to forget after this Sunday. Help us to think about this message and your words, Lord, during the week. And that, Lord, that we might rise up, might respond to you, Father. We might honor you, Lord, in this, this important area. We pray all these things. In Jesus Christ's glorious name, amen.